Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. You're really going to love this. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, may the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you please be seated? <clears throat> I appreciated Lee's endorsement this morning before the reading. You're going to enjoy these words. These are wonderful words for us from Scripture. Uh, and those words that I began with, that, that benediction, that good word from God, those are, are more than just mere words for me. Um, and I know I've shared this before. For some, maybe I share it too much. For others, uh, maybe you haven't heard this before. Uh, just a real important event in my life was, uh, was when I was about 11 or 12 years old, my brother, uh, who at the time was a rising senior in high school, um, got in a real severe car accident. Um, what had happened, he and his best friend were, uh, were co-captains of the football team, the high school football team. They were going to lift weights in the middle of the afternoon, uh, July afternoon. Uh, they came around a corner about 35 miles an hour, and uh, when they came around the corner, there was a pool of water on the road from a rainstorm. And they skidded off the road and hit a, hit a tree. Uh, his best friend was driving, and in the car, the impact took on Mark's side. Um, he broke his femur uh, three times with a compound fracture, his elbow with a compound fracture, his jaw. Uh, he collapsed both lungs, and his most severe injury was a traumatic brain injury in the front and back of his brain. Uh, he was airlifted to Tufts New England Medical Center in Boston, where he was given a 5% chance of survival. Needless to say, the situation was, was grave, um, was, was dire. 
my parents basically moved into the hospital in Boston. And they lived in this little room because there were so many decisions that needed to be made in the first two weeks. The doctors wanted them on by, uh, wanted them on call and on, and, and on standby. And so they lived in this little room that was really not much bigger than just this area right here. It was two single beds, foot to foot, and, and just a little bit of space next to it. And they had to be making decisions because Mark was in surgery for about the first 30 hours and then came out of the surgery and was in coma for over six months. Uh, ultimately ended up being about a year that he was in a coma. Uh, but during all that time, they had to make these decisions that I just can't even imagine making. And I can't imagine uh, the pressure and, and how tense that situation would be, the anxiety uh, that was there. So my parents, praise God, were both people of faith. Um, but this was a test, right? And my mom, uh, my mom tells a story. And it's why I say these words are personal. My mom said after a few days not sleeping and making these decisions and just seeing your, your son in that condition, said, I, I didn't... I didn't know what to do, and she said, so she went into this, this little room where they were staying, and she said, I, I fell down on my knees in prayer, and praying was normal, but falling down on her knees before God was not, and she just said, I just put my head down on the bed, and I prayed, Lord, you promised that no matter what happened, you'd provide a way out and provide me a way to stand. You promised you wouldn't give me more than I could handle. This is more than I can handle, and you can understand that fervent prayer of a mother. This is more than I can handle. And, and the answer to that prayer was immediate. And the answer to the prayer was the experience of the peace of God, which transcends understanding. And she will say to this day, I can't, I can't explain it to you, but I just had this peace in my heart. And the verse from the Bible that I heard was this verse. The peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And of saying, I know that I belong to Christ Jesus. I know that Mark belongs to Christ Jesus. And that peace that she experienced was real for her and tangible. And understanding that God was present with her in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this, this tragedy in our lives. And, and I also have to tell you, because I think this is really important for you to hear, the result of that prayer wasn't that my mom walked out of the little room where they were staying and my brother walked out of intensive care and was like, I'm miraculously healed. In fact, as she reflected back on it years later, it was the very day that she prayed that prayer that the doctors came and said, we're sorry, Mark will never walk or talk again. That she got the worst, most devastating news that she could get. That he wasn't going to recover the way that she had hoped. That he was probably going to survive, but that was probably about the best it would be. But it didn't change the peace of God. It didn't change the, the truth, the thing that she knew Mark belonged to Jesus, that she belonged to Jesus, that we belong to Jesus, that truth, the peace of God which guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul speaks about this in the Philippians. He writes about this to a people that they would know the truth of reality. And we also have to settle the basics once again. The basics are this. We live in a world where there are anxiety-inducing situations. We live in a world where bad things happen. Bad things happen all around us. Bad things happen in a, in a tangible way and without explanation so often. And we wrestle with that. We wrestle with its reality because we want to avoid it, but the Bible doesn't avoid it. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, we see that there is no promise. In fact, I'll, I'll say it this emphatically. There is no promise in this book, that life will be smooth. 
There is no promise in this book that life will be a bed of roses. In fact, quite the contrary. What we learn from the scriptures, what we learn even from the Apostle Paul, is that there will be situations that are bad that we can't even explain. Situations which we might never fully grasp our entire lives. There will be bad things that happen. In fact, let me just remind you for a second that Paul and his co-worker Silas, when they visited Philippi before this letter, they were thrown into prison after having been flogged, which is severely beaten, the flesh removed from their backs with whips. They had been imprisoned, all for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. That shouldn't happen. It shouldn't have been that way, but it was. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from house arrest in Rome. Shouldn't be that way. And yet it is. We live in a world where bad things happen. And where they seem to happen indiscriminately. Where they happen without any explanation. Where they happen without us even being able to understand or know why we're in this situation. There's no promise that life will be any different. And we are told the reason... Right, At least the root cause of all of it, the root cause is sin and the effects of sin on the world. We're told that though we have, we have glimpses of things that are wonderful and good, that they're just glimpses. We're told that there's brokenness. We're told that sin has consequences and effects. Sometimes the most difficult things in our lives are the result of our own sin. Sometimes they are the result of the things that I do. If I act like a bad person towards somebody else, the chances are I'm going to break that relationship with them. But sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're not the result of my sin or anything that I have to do at all. And yet they're real. We live in a world that is broken. But let me tell you about what the Bible does say in the midst of this. What the Bible does say is that we're not promised a bed of roses, but that we're promised that we will be able to sleep in whatever bed we've been given. The Bible never tells us that there won't be anxiety-inducing situations. What it tells us is that the God of peace will be with you. As the Apostle Paul says, the Lord is near, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Whenever there are these anxiety-inducing situations, we're reminded of the truth of Scripture that the Lord is near. So how do we handle them? What do we do in the midst of the the tragic things of life? What do we do in the midst of of anxiety-inducing situations? Well, first, we face it. And we understand why it's so difficult for us to grasp it. It's because in those moments... In those most difficult moments, we have to admit something that we really, really don't like to admit. And it's this simple. We have to admit that we are virtually powerless. We have to admit that we can't control what happens in our everyday lives. We can't control what happens in our world as much as we would like to. We can't. But guess what? That reality isn't meant to create more anxiety. Instead, quite the opposite. In fact, quite the contrary. That actually, that reality of knowing that we are virtually powerless frees us to not try to be God. It frees us to allow God 
to be God so that we can resume our rightful position as children of God. So that we can know we don't have to try to fix everything and make everything right. We don't have to try to overcome and we don't have to try to do it just a little bit more and work just a little bit harder. Instead, we can say, no, I am a child of God. I am not God. And we can know the truth. That the one who is God is near. This creates a dependence on God. And that's God's intent for us. God intends for us to be dependent on him. God intends in the midst of this relationship that we have with God for us to know and to be free in who we are because we're dependent on God to be God. We're dependent on God to do all the things that God does. And so what does Paul say? Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And then he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. Now, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people use that Bible passage to mean all sorts of different things, right? Like you should think about the things that are, are noble and good in the world. I've even heard it, people use... Well, I mean, let's just, let me illustrate this for you this way. You're supposed to focus on those things which are all of those. And so, you know, the best thing that we could do all the time would be to focus on Boston Red Sox baseball. Right? I mean, that's noble and excellent and praiseworthy. No, not at all. Instead, it's teaching us to focus on the things of God and to see all around us ordinary gifts that God gives us. And as we see those ordinary gifts, to identify them as noble and right and true, to identify them as as excellent and praiseworthy, and in identifying those things, to note how much God has given us to show and to demonstrate his presence in our lives. To enable us to say, look at these good gifts that God has given me. I'm dependent on him. For he is my God. And Paul says, and the God of peace is with us. There was another woman in the hospital. She sat in the same pediatric intensive care waiting unit. And she used to sit there all the time and we we always noted her because she was always crying. And sometimes family were by her side and they were very seldom talking. They were really doing, just sitting there doing nothing all the time. And, and our family, and this is a little, little window into how crazy we all are, you know, we're all laughing and joking and people are visiting and we're going to the cafeteria because we know that we're powerless, but that we're dependent on a good God because we know that God is near. Well, this lady saw this behavior in our family, and she, she said to my mom one day, you know, I've talked to a lot of holy people, and no one's been able to, to give me any answers. And your son's in virtually the same situation as mine, but there's something different, so would you come and talk to me? This woman had been, um, had been in the hospital waiting word for her son for quite a while. Her son had drowned in a local pond and was being kept alive on life support system but had been told that he was brain dead. 
And she sat every day, she cried with her hand in a bag. And we didn't know what it was until one day, I think it was my sister who found out what was in the bag. It was sand from the pond in which he drowned. She sat every day feeling death and dwelling on it. And my mom was like, I don't know what I'm going to say to her. I have no idea. Should I call pastor and make him come do it? Imagine what it's like now to be the son. Who's the pastor? Oh, Scott will do it. She said, I don't know what to say, so I guess I'll just go and talk to her. Those are really important words. Just go. Just go. In the midst of putting this into practice, we're reminded that if we believe something, we should do it. That the things we believe, the things that deep inside of our core of our belief are things upon which we act, that we put this faith into practice, the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, whatever you saw or learned or received or heard, any of these things that you, that you, de- that you saw demonstrated in me, put them into practice. Do these things. And before you think this is Paul just pounding his chest, remember this is the same Paul who the chapter before said, not that I've already attained all this or I've already been made perfect. This is the same Paul who writes in Romans, the good that I want to do I don't often do and the evil that I don't want to do that I too often do what a wretch I am. But he's also the one who says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's his demonstration for the Philippians. They had cared for him. He had seen care demonstrated in his life. Paul had known the value of being a redeemed child of God. Paul had known the effects of his own sin in life. He had seen the brokenness all around him and knew about the restoration which Jesus Christ was bringing about. And because of all those things, he lived differently. And then he says again, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Notice Paul's confidence in saying these things. Notice how Paul says to them, God will be near. God will be present. He has assurance because he knows what Christ has done for him. And so we also have that same assurance. We have that same gift to know what it means to say that there are others who are alongside us. Paul commends the Philippians. He says, it was good for you to share in my afflictions. Not the misery loves company way, but that they had been, had been co-fellowshipping with him in the midst of his afflictions, that they hadn't abandoned him, but had been with him. They had walked with him through his most difficult moments, that the Philippians had just gone to be with Paul. We also are meant to put our faith into practice in the same way. We're made to feel for others. We're made to feel for those who are around us. And in faith, that is a way for us to put our faith into practice. Now, hear me out. I want to be very careful here. This is not an excuse for you in the midst of your pain to insist on this from everybody else. It's not a time for you in the midst of your pain to say, well, every single one of you needs to hear from me. Instead, this is what we are to give others. 
that we are meant in the midst of our most anxiety-inducing moments to be open to what God is doing in us. That lady asked my mom to come and speak to her. Our sons are in virtually the same situation, but there's something different about you. And I also want you to be very clear. I'm not saying this morning that the reason why bad things happen is so that then you can have a testimony to tell other people. That's not the way that God operates. Instead, what I'm saying is that even in the midst of the most anxiety-inducing situation, even in the midst of those difficult moments of life, that God is still doing something good and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. Something in each one of us as we are driven to our knees in prayer, as he demonstrates his peace poured into our lives so that we, who know that the God of peace is near, can just go, can care for the people that God has given us to care for in our own lives. So I want to play a video, as we did last week, to share stories of a couple of people in our midst who are living this out as they care for others, putting into practice the faith that Jesus has given us. My name is Johanna Hilpert, and I came to Cornerstone Lutheran Church 11 years ago, and I was attracted to Cornerstone because I heard about the women's Bible study. My name is Samantha Burke, my husband is Brandon Burke, and we've been a part of the downtown ministry ever since the very beginning. Hi, my name is Michael Minier, and I've been a disciple here at Cornerstone since 2004. Uh, many of you know my wife, Karen. She's on the staff here. Uh, and we have two daughters, Macy, who's a freshman at University of Cincinnati, and Abby, who's a sophomore in Noblesville. Our sainted pastor, Don, asked me to be on the prayer team. And that was a wonderful experience because um, anyone who had a gift in a certain area, like um, the prayer shawl ministry or um, leading a prayer retreat, he was very encouraging and uh, just letting us go ahead with that. My faith in Christ has really moved me to love others because I was raised in a home where I learned selfless love and my, my faith was really rooted in the very beginning. And so I was able to learn about Christ early on. And the most important thing to me is identity. So being from foster care and being adopted, I was able to learn early that you know it's not about the situations around you, where you've come from and your past deficiencies or failings. It's really about your faith in Christ and, and the love that he had for me to give me this opportunity through grace. And so because of that, and because I've been given this opportunity to really love others and serve others because Jesus uh, loved me so much, I've been able to go out and, and just be a light to others through the love that, that God has given me. I worked at a food bank in college and really got some exposure to the, the needs of those folks. And I read a few years ago that if you see something that breaks your heart, uh, if you run towards it instead of away, God will find a way to use you. Uh, so I prayed about that and uh, actually approached a gentleman that was collecting money at an intersection in Castleton about three years ago just to ask him about his story and talk about uh, faith and where that uh, lies with him and to share my faith. And through that conversation, I found out that he lived in the Irvington area of Indianapolis. And just through that initial conversation, God opened a door and I was able to 
uh, get in contact with a group called the Irvington Community Advocacy Network. My favorite Bible verse is Psalm 63, verse 3, which reads, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And it's one of my favorites because it's a really good opportunity to remember, wow, I am loved so much by Christ. And, and my example through others and my missionary work through um, the love that he's been given to me, um, it really allows me the opportunity to go out and, and shed a light to others. I've grown here at Cornerstone through, um, through the preaching, through the opportunities to serve, and it's gone out into my neighborhood. So I do take prayer shawls to neighbors, to women who may have be experiencing cancer or medical issues or family problems and I've grown in my ability to to share my faith with them. I serve as the National Program Director for Pass the Torch for Women Foundation so I have the humbling honor of working with underserved students and allowing them to find mentors and allowing them the opportunity to really be able to grow personally and professionally and my passion really stems from uh, you know, my experiences growing up as a woman, feeling very rooted in my faith and wanting others to find that identity and find success. One time when I was in a Bible study and I didn't want to do something, an opportunity that came up and the Bible study was about spiritual gifts. And the Lord said to me, who gave you that gift? I think you better rethink that. I gave you that gift so that you can use it. I started with prayer. Um, it was uh, that first step out uh, to share my faith with a stranger on a street corner was, uh, uh, was a big step. And so I prayed uh, for quite a while sitting in my car before I took that step out. Uh, and, uh, and then just look for uh, uh, other folks that have uh, done something that, uh, that you're interested in and they can provide you guidance. My words of encouragement for others who want to serve and love Christ and have that impact the community and others around them is to really be authentic and genuine and, and be yourself and be rooted in you know the fact that you are loved by God and to remind yourselves every day about that and, and to read the word and to continue to practice and put it to works and, and really go out there and, and just show love and, and be compassionate. God's presence, God's peace poured into us so that we can just go and share that peace with other people. Right? To know the gifts that God has for us. To know the way that God continues to work in and through us so that we can be a blessing to others. And yeah, I'll give you the update because everyone always wants to know my brother does walk and talk. That is something of a miracle in our family, but it was a long time coming and certainly not an overnight thing. What a gift to know that we have the opportunity to be a blessing no matter what be a blessing to other people, to know the God of peace in our lives, to demonstrate peace to others by sharing love with them. So brothers and sisters, the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.